0: Hi, this is Sin Dash from An Acorn's Journey, a DMD story. Tell us what you think about the campaign over at Apple Podcasts and Podchaser. Leave us a review as well. Remember, you can find us over at Facebook, Twitter, and on the web at thedungeonmastersdojo.com. If you're interested in supporting the podcast, please consider using our drive through RPG affiliate stores next time you're shopping. If shopping isn't your thing, you can always buy a sake. We love sake. Finally, consider showing your support by buying some Dungeon Masters Dojo Logo Wear. The links are in the description below. Thank you for listening.
1: Our reality is but a dimension, the uppermost layer in a tower of mirrors. Beneath it are the many reflections cast by our reality, similar but not entirely the same. A staggering number of worlds lands beneath a dark sun a world of three moons forsaken by the gods, realms long forgotten, and countless thousands more. You are about to enter one such reflection, a world still recovering from a magical apocalypse, a place where magic is regulated, goblins trade their wares throughout the lands, and the north is dominated by giants. Today, the sun rises over Hymerion and the Wilderin. This is An Acorn's Journey, a DMD story. And now, Chapter 7 of An Acorn's Journey, a DMD story.
2: You see Mokwi kind of fall back onto his bottom, his hands splayed out to catch him. There is a look of deep concern and almost
3: terror on his face. This is not good. We've... How so? There's dark magics here. Should we leave? We should end this dark magic.
4: We have an issue of our own. Do we want to put ourselves in a position to... I don't know. This There's dark magic going on everywhere. So it's not our responsibility to go in and stop
3: it. I'm going to use a wild shape and go into a brown bear. There is
2: a distortion of his features. He still is sitting. There is a muffled ah. shriek. You could tell he's trying to contain his screams of pain and he does a fairly good job of that, but then there is this primal roar, that of a bear. Mokui is replaced by a thickly built bear sitting on its haunches.
4: Erin, get the others. I'm going to reach up and grab a handful of nape of the bear, look him right in the eye and go, are you sure? And I'm going to start moving forward. I'm going to swing up on top of the bear.
5: I'm going to go back to <laughs> camp and browse Dash and Madri, Mokui's very upset. There's apparently some dark magic going on that he wants to put an end to, not far from here.
2: Okay, let's go. Mokui with long way astride his back thunders down the rise as the chanting is building to this crescendo Shogola, 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 Shogola. Just as you get there, the candlelight begins to flicker. There's a breeze that comes up, a very unnatural breeze. It begins to swirl around the ruins. Up in the camp, you rally your companions. The child takes an arrow from your quiver and holds it and looks up intently at you and makes a stabbing motion with it.
5: You stay back with me
2: stay in arrow range,
5: but I don't know how durable you are in close combat.
2: The child seems content with that and will follow you to your position that you take up and stand by your side very closely, holding the arrow, much like the spear, and will look up at you and make a thrusting motion with it.
5: I I will take the
2: arrow and I will hand it my yikla. It takes the yikla. Remarkably strong. The yikla is a heavy weapon and is long, but the child takes it and seems to be unfazed by its weight, and it will stand there holding it like a staff.
5: And then I will knock an arrow, and
0: I will wait. Madri?
6: Madri starts trucking, throws an arm out for Dash uh, as he's going. I will swing
0: on up and uh, get on the shoulders, my little launching platform.
6: And then Madri starts running 40 feet of movement speed after the brown bear. The bear you see arrives at the outskirts of the ruins. The ruins
2: aren't large by any stretch. It looks like one large structure. There's piles of broken stone blocks littering the area around it. There's some fairly large walls. One of them is arched. Looks like there might have been an entrance at some point in time. Perhaps a wooden door hung on it. There's no roof on any of the ruins. It was taken by the swamp a very long time ago. You see those seven cloaked figures, you can hear the eerie chanting, the black candles and their flames flickering almost to extinction, and then coming to flame again. The bodies begin to circle slowly around this draconic stone statue as they begin chanting louder and louder and louder, Shogoloth, Shogoloth. Mokui, there's an overwhelming sense of where there was fear and terror initially, now that you are down there and in bare form, there is a rage that is beginning to build in you from a very deep and dark place. But it's not the primal ferocity of an animal form, it is something within you, within the pit of your being. There is a sense of vengeance and unquenchable anger that is building in you that you haven't experienced for a very, very, very long time.
3: As I'm running down, I'm just gonna bellow out a roar and just get as close as I can. As you're riding down,
2: you emit this
3: deep and
2: terrifying roar to the extent that you shock yourself, and you can feel Longway, whose nerves are usually like steel, jump a little bit. Having never heard anything of that nature come from him, it is very different than the howling of his wolf form. You sense something very different about him that is only a little bit concerning.
4: I'm going to have a moment of concern, but after seeing what I've seen up on the hillside and his immediate response, I'm going to pat him on the side of the neck Mokwe, my friend, I have your back. The cloaked figures stop as they see your dark form charging
2: down towards them. They ready themselves. The chanting has stopped. Mokui?
3: I'm going to charge the first one that's closest to me.
4: Just before we get there, I'm going to pull my feet up on top of the bear, crouch down low, and get ready to launch myself from the bear.
0: See, it's an effective tactic. But can you glide?
3: (laughs) No, but I can fall real fast. So if I do get within range, I will attack. You come within range
2: of the first, the closest cloaked figure, just as you feel long way, position himself on your back. There's a great deal of pressure on the Napier neck and
3: he launches himself through the air. Oku, okay, you may attack. My first attack, which will be the claw, and metal dice will be the bite. Natural 20 on the bite, and I miss on the claw. What are your damage? It'll be 16 points.
2: You overtake your opponent the massive jaws of the bear open around the man's waist and you thrash him about and toss him aside. He lands in the swamp water and starts to pull himself up from the muck. Long way as you approach on the back of Mokui, you launch yourself into the air, across the stone altar.
4: I will target one or the other. I'm on a riding bear. I'm not gonna be able to pinpoint, at least I don't think I'm gonna be able to pinpoint an exact target, but there's more than enough. It's a target-rich environment. I'm gonna swing as I land, but I'll swing at the one I'm coming down closest to.
2: You effectively leap into a small crowd of individuals. As you're coming down, you raise your sword over your head and one of them begins to pull a scimitar from its sheath. Make your attack. Oh, well, that's not very good.
4: Uh, that's only a 10.
2: He steps aside and pulls his scimitar from his sheath and squares off with
4: him. Uh, as a bonus action, I'm going to let out one of my draconic roars. I'm dead center of everybody, so all seven are within the area of effect. And that grants your allies advantage on Advantage attacks. until my next attack.
5: Earring? Since I'm at range, would I have advantage since I'm away and they're probably fire, so they're probably not aware of my presence?
2: I'll grant you that.
5: I will shoot at one of them. Eight.
2: An arrow whizzes by you, Mokui, and Longway, and sticks into one of the walls of the ruins. Madri, Dash, you make it down to the ruins where the cultists are, and you may attack on the next round.
6: Can Madri take out a short bow and blow an arrow? Oh, you could, yes, if you'd like. Got Just to do that. 19. 19 hits. Max damage. It's gonna be eight damage to one of the cultists. Are you targeting anybody in
2: particular? One is extracting himself from the muck after being tossed aside by Moqueen as bear form. There's one squaring off with long way now, and there's five others that are unsheathing weapons.
6: I'll take up the one in the ground. That's getting up from
2: the muck. Uh, very tight quarters here. It's almost like shooting fish in a barrel with the exception of the one that you just targeted. All your damage. Eight. And he is down. As the cultist is extracting himself from the muck, one of Madry's arrows plunges into his chest with the sickening thump and he falls back into the swamp water, slowly sinking. Dash, your actions.
0: I'm throwing a dagger into that big mass. That's a nat 20. That'll hit. Ignoring the other one, but it's only for five points of damage. Did you roll it twice? A nat 20. I'm not going to get better than that on advantage. No, no, no. your
4: weapon. Nat 20 oh. is double weapon.
0: Oh, that's right. Okay, so it's a seven. Everybody is gone. The cultist nearest
2: to you, Mokwe, will attack with a scimitar, bellowing for Shungaloth as he does so, and he hits you with nat 20. In bear form, what is your armor class? It's 11? Yeah. That is four points of damage. Long way, two additional cultists close in on you to back up their colleague. I'm going to sneer at them. Long way your armor class is 17, correct? Correct. The first one, the one that initially squared off with you, attacks you with a scimitar, a big overhanded swing, which you parry out of the way, duck under the next swing of one of the other opponents, and with an open palm attack, you slap a thrust aside. They have all missed. Earring?
5: Earring will will take another shot into the fray, casting Zephyr Strike. That's a 23. The one I hit, I'm gonna mark as my favorite enemy. Call it, I open the corner. So that's five points of regular damage, five points of force damage, and two points of psychic damage.
2: The arrow slams into the shoulder uh of the cultist, and then there is a, what appears to be a ripple in a pond, an impact of sorts that slams him against the wall. He staggers forward, readies his weapon, and then there is a wave of energy that passes through him and he drops to his death.
4: Long way. Reaching for my hand axe, I will close on the one to my left which is the only one that is between me and the rest of my group. And I will attack with sword and hand axe. That's going to be, I'm going to get both of these to hit eventually. The nine is probably not going to hit the 15. I'm sorry, 16.
0: 16 hits.
4: That's the hand axe. And that's going to be for six points damage.
0: Dash. I launch myself aiming to land on the statue. You launch yourself from Madri shell, glide over the
2: combat, and land atop the head of the dragon statue.
0: And a quick feel down, it feels like stone. Oh yeah. Then I will use my cantrip and attempt to druid craft one of the candles so that it goes out. Okay, the candle flickers
2: and then is
0: extinguished. Looking down, how many have we gotten rid of out of the seven? Two, two, so there are still five. Then as a bonus action, I rage and I'm going to start looking like a purple popsicle fairy. You've heard this before.
2: There is a high-pitched bellow, almost like a piercing whistle that a a gym teacher would use to (laughs) gather his students together. You look up and see Dash slowly going from red to purple to red to purple, veins running up his neck. That squiggly vein running down his forehead, his eyes bulging. Your fairy barbarian companion, and it makes me chuckle thinking of it, <laughs> goes
6: into a primal rage. Madri? Madri runs in. He's going to go to the left, attack the cultist. Are we calling them cultists? The worshiper. The cultists. Uh The cultist directly in front of him comes through with an unarmored fist and hits. Oh, he didn't hit. he's going to roll to see he- We don't still have an advantage, correct? No, you do not. That's a critical miss.
2: You swing, miss, and try to follow up with an elbow to try
6: to catch him, and he steps back. He's going to spend a key point and do flurry of blows, and hopefully he hits. Does a 15 hit? 15 does. Excellent. The uh, 17 will also hit. And he's going to, as he does that, his fists, uh, since they're unarmed strikes, are going to be enveloped in... One of them is acid. The other one is lightning damage. So a total of 12 damage. That is a good hit, Madri. You do an inside roundhouse kick,
2: knock his sword arm aside, and then a flurry of your blows strikes the cultist. There is an electrical charge that runs the entire course of his body across his teeth. You can see it in his mouth. He's... <laughs> and then he falls... Sizzling from the acid damage as tiny knuckle sized holes begin to form in him, the electrical current still running across his limp body. That was my draconic disciple ability. What was and the effect downing. of his critical
3: botch? We're not using critical failure tables. So that one's dead? That one is dead. Okui? Gonna stand tall and go to the next one, the closest to me, due to bite and claw. Bite. 21? 21. 21 hits. Eight points. Was that with
2: your. Bite Bite. hand claw? That's just the bite. Just the bite. The cultist raises his arm, brandishing his scimitar in an attempt to bring it down on you, and you clamp your jaws around his arm. He shrieks in agony as he grabs a hold of one of your ears and tries to wrest his arm from your mouth. The cultist, whose arm is in your mouth, punches you. 16 hits. Yes, it does. Take one point of damage and you can see him grimace as his fist hits your skull. Long way, you still have two cultists on you? Yes.
4: I will move forward. Well, they're going to attack you first. Oh, okay, I suppose I'll let them. That is nice. Swing away. It's getting hot in this, this swamp. I could use the breeze. One of them attempts
2: to rest your head from its shoulders. He makes a sweeping attack, exposing his side to you. You step back pivoting on your heels, casually, as the blade passes inches in front of your neck. The other one moves in for a thrust, seeing you potentially off-balance, and hits you with a 17 for four points of damage. Madri, you are attacked by the cultist, he thrusts his sword towards you, trying to hook your arm with its curved tip, and stumbles getting dangerously close to you, but his swing is so far off that he's in a very awkward position.
6: Not today, buddy. One of the
2: cultists leaps onto the altar that your statue is upon, Dash, and he makes an awkward swinging motion towards you, hopping as he does so, because you're a little bit too tall up there for him, and misses very awkwardly, almost falling off the altar but catching himself on the statue, earring. The one that Mokui has, is it grappled? It is grappled.
5: But I have advantage on
2: that target. I will will grant you advantage on that. That is the one I will shoot for.
5: There was a one in there again. There's a 19, seven points of normal damage, two points of psychic damage.
2: Mokui, you have the cultist's arm in your mouth and they're bearing down on it. He shrieks in pain as he's attempting to pummel you to get your jaws off him. You feel your fur being ruffled by a a breeze as an arrow plunges into the cultist's throat. There is a wave of energy that overcomes him from
3: the neck up as he falls limp in your mouth. (laughs) How many other cultists are standing around? That would be three now. So the one, I have his arm in my mouth. I'm going to charge one of the other ones. As I'm getting close up to him, I'm gonna swing this body at him. Okay, I will wait on that
4: one. Long way. The one that just swung at me and missed is a bit off balance. I'm gonna use both his on balance and swinging with the injury that I took as I was pulling away from it, I'm gonna continue that motion and come out with a tail attack to take the one that's off balance off his feet. And that's going to be a 13. That's probably not gonna hit.
2: You strike him and it buckles his legs, but he seems to regain control stumbling forward.
4: I'm going to action surge, and I'm going to attack him with both weapons. Uh, One miss. Uh, The sword's going to hit. That's going to be a 20, dirty 20. And that's going to be seven points damage.
2: As he's stumbling forward after the tail strike, catch him in the back, opening a long gash across his back. When your sword makes contact, his back arches in pain. You can see his hands clench tight in fists, and he swings about and steals himself
0: against you. Dash? Dash is going to say, bless me, eagle brother. Jump up in the air, three feet, you know, a couple feet out so I can get around the upper parts of the statue. And then I'm going to fold my wings and do a stoop maneuver and just slam my foot into the top of the cultist's head who's below me. That is a 23 dirty. That'll hit. And that is six points of damage. With your foot? Unarmed strike. Oh. Unarmed okay. strike four plus two for uh, raging.
2: Okay. Your unarmed strikes do one point.
0: That's for bludgeoning. Okay. You wrote it for me. Actually build it.
2: So you leap from the statue, fold your wings in, plunge down onto the cultist who is still on the altar, striking him on the top of the head with your foot. He fails his dexterity save, falling backwards, taking three points of damage.
6: He is now prone. Madri? Trying to see where the combatants are. All right, Madry's going to step up to the next one. I'll take out the one that Longley is facing off against. He's going to punch and actually punch again, or kick, or... He's gonna gonna kill him! First strike, 18. That'll hit. For six points of damage, the punch. Is that the one that long
2: way struck? Yes. You do an uppercut, palm strike, his head snaps back,
6: there's a cracking sound, his knees buckle, and he falls limp. I will cartwheel over him, and as I do so, I will kick the next one that Dash is facing off against in the face, or attempt to. He's prone, so you get advantage. I will Oh yeah Instead of taking him in the face, I'm gonna just heal to the middle of the chest. Eighteen. That is a good hit. It's a flaming heel.
2: How much damage do you do? Six. You have not lived until you've seen the the <laughs> impressive sight of a turtle cartwheel over a fallen opponent and then with flaming heel strike is Your key energy builds in you as you let out a massive kia in a deep guttural voice as your foot and calf is engulfed in a key powered flame, and you drive your heel down, plunging it deep into his chest, breaking his sternum. He spouts a gout of blood and falls backwards, dead.
3: Mokui? Mokui's going to take the guy that he still has in his arm, run up to one of the guys, and we'll try to fling this thing at him at one of the, um, the closest one standing up. Okay.
2: First need a strength check in your bear form. That is eight. As you charge forward (laughs) and jerk your head to toss the limp form that you have in your mouth, he flies awkwardly towards the last remaining cultists, strikes a wall, missing them, and slowly slides down, leaving a
3: long smear of blood. Can I still have my second attack? Yeah. I'm gonna just swipe at the one that's standing. 15? 15 hits. For 11 points.
2: Your massive bear paw lashes out and catches him at the top of the shoulder. Your claws, you can feel them dig deep into the flesh, into the muscle, into the bone as you rend his chest open in a spout of blood and he falls forward with this look of amazement on his face and dies sitting on his heels. Are there any others around? There is one more who immediately drops his weapon and drops to his knees and puts his hands up and says, please, mercy. I mean you no harm. That's the end of my turn. The last remaining cultist, after seeing his fellows quite easily exterminated, mauled by a bear, shot from some unseen individual in the swamp, drops to his knees, begins begging for mercy.
5: Hearing will put his bow down. Still have an arrow knocked, but not like at the ready, and just put an arm down, for the child to wait, and wait to see what
3: unfolds. Mokwe, this one's to you. And as if he says that, I'm gonna walk up to cultist, put my paws on his chest, and push him to the ground. You easily push him to the ground. And I bite his face, and then do that bear pounce. You see, Crack,
4: snap,
2: squish. Mokwe in bear <laughs> form push the cultist down. The two massive paws. He stands up to his full height, lets out a roar, does the bear pounce, and slowly walks over to the cultist who has this look of abject terror on his face. He's no,
5: no, no.
2: And then he opens his mouth and clamps on the occultist's face. The occultist shrieks in pain and reaches his arms up around Mokui's face and is pulling and tearing at his fur as Mokui thrashes him around. And soon he is limp. The bear turns around, stands, and emits a mighty
3: roar. And I walk back off the camp. We interrupt this podcast of an Acorn Journey to talk about our sponsor. Are you a veteran DM with more campaign
2: ideas than prep time? Yeah, of course you are. Aren't we all? Does your party have a habit of going to the person or place that you would least expect? If they're like my group, they sure do. What if I were to tell you that I could put a team of professional writers alongside you at your desk to cut down on your campaign prep? What if I were to tell you that you could bring them along with you at your game sessions for when those pesky players go off the rails. Sounds pretty good, huh? With Describe, we can do just that. These narratives vividly describe monsters, places, spells, people, you name it. It's there. And there are more than 6,000 of these easy-to-search-up, copy and pasteable, beautifully written narratives right at your fingertips. I've been running games for the better part of 40 years, and I must admit, I've gotten a bit lazy. I just don't have the time I used to. And I've been using Terrain, which is minimizing my need for descriptive narratives. Stuff is right out there in front of you. Why describe it? When I was prepping for an Acorn's Journey, a DMD story, I used describe quite a bit. When you listen, you can hear it. One of the things I like the most about describe is that if the narrative doesn't fit perfectly with your encounter, it's easy to modify while still sounding really good. I did that an awful lot. I think this makes the more than 6,000 narratives that they have available for you even more valuable. It almost doubles what you have at your fingertips. You should give it a shot. Describe has graciously provided us with a discount for our listeners. Head on over to Describe.com backslash DMD. That's D-S-C-R-Y-B.com backslash DMD. Use the code DMD
3: at checkout to try Describe for two weeks free links will be in the show notes and now back to an acorns journey a dmd story Mokwe, before you leave i'm gonna reach up and tap the statue
4: i would go up and try to push it over
2: with all your might and all your massive weight you topple the statue it falls breaking in several
4: pieces i'm gonna grab one of the pieces and on the way back to camp, look for a deepish pool and drop one of the chunks into it.
5: I'm going to head to the site and go over it, go through the corpses.
6: Yeah, Madri was, mad was going to also go through the corpses
0: and pile them up in a corner. Dash stands up on the chest of the person he just head stomped, looks around going, Who's dead <sighs> Over again, drop the rage and start gathering up big black candles. The child follows
2: you down and stands in the water of the swamp for a bit, watches the party ransack the corpses, looking from party member to party member and watching intently. Soon it will step onto that piece of land and will drop to its knees and begin to rummage through the clothing as it watches each of you do the same.
5: While also holding the ikwa.
2: Yeah, with one hand. You don't find anything of consequence on them. There's no coin purses. They're wearing nothing but the black robes. Each of them has a pendant around their neck that is very similar in appearance to the statue. But beyond that, there is nothing. They are made up of different races. Humans, a Balanasi elf, orc, a dwarf from the Republic of Karovar. But what they were doing and why they were doing it, you're really not certain.
5: I will take one of the pendants. Might come in use later. Might mean nothing.
2: Mokui is no longer with you. Perhaps the only one who would be able to shed any light on this occurrence.
5: And what is the condition of the uh, weapons?
2: They're decent weapons. You wouldn't call it fine craftsmanship by any stretch, but they are serviceable, they are effective. These cultists clearly weren't trained warriors. Each of them has the same weapon, a scimitar with a hook at the end, a more pronounced curvature at the end of the scimitar. Along either side of the scimitar is a razor thin blade, very small, but it runs the entire length of either side of the scimitar. Initially, you found it odd that they were making thrusting attacks long way, With a scimitar, you chalked it up to... Inexperience. Inexperience, poor training, or lack of training. But now, after inspecting the weapons, you realize there is that razor-thin edge, death by a thousand cuts, perhaps. Maybe these were more ceremonial than actual weapons for combat. Dash, you have something to say?
0: Yes, is there any difference between their normal weapons and the sword that was on the altar. And what else was on the altar?
2: The sword on the altar is, it's not an actual weapon. And when you inspect it, you notice that the sword is, appears to be more of a decoration than anything else. It's actually part of the altar. It is painted to appear to be a sword and it is a sword shape, but it is actually the the top of the altar. It is part of the stone that was carved. There's a six-pointed star pattern on the bottom of the altar. There are some crystals on the wall, these white like crystals. You're not too sure what the purpose of those are, but they did reflect a lot of the candlelight. So perhaps it was nothing more than lighting. There's a dark stone on the altar. It's in a gem-studded gold urn of some type. So you are just seeing the top of this dark stone. It's not a gem, but it is rather a rock.
0: Oh, that's okay grabbing the urn and not touching the stone, I'm going to put it in my brand new shiny pouch.
2: Okay. It is about as big, the whole unit itself with the device that the stone is resting in is about the size of a football. It's got a great deal of weight to it, but it will fit in your pouch. It will take up most of the pouch and you won't be
0: able to close it. But I'll make a little bit of room by putting some of the coins back in my shoes and socks.
5: Erring will start taking the bodies and setting them off into the more watery depths of the swamp. Making the fire here be difficult. Yes,
2: very challenging.
4: I'm going to continue walking with Mokwe. He's going to need to come down off his rage, and I want to have make sure there's someone
3: nearby just in case. Where are you going? Up and around the camp area. I was going to just circle the camp, make sure there's nothing else up in that area. I'm just going to follow him closely, but I'm going to follow him. not going
4: to disturb him.
2: You walk around the camp for a while. You seem satisfied that the, there is no more danger from any cultists and stop at the camp. You stay in your bear form? For the duration, yes. I'll just watch over them. Madri, Dash, and Earring and the child are, are still down at the ruins. You search the area, found nothing of great interest with the exception of a pendant that was quietly slipped into your pocket and the black stone. What are you going to do now? I will continue to cast the bodies out of the swamp. The last body is given to the swamp. You seem satisfied that the area is cleaned up as best you can. I will then guide the child back to camp. Madri, Dash,
0: I'm going to follow the child, jumping every once in a while, testing out my new boots in this big puddle. It's, it's weird having something on your feet. Very
2: seldom do. There's really no need for <clears throat> you to have anything on your feet, but this is your first experience with a
0: swamp. I like the way the water flicks off the bunny ears.
2: Madry, will you be accompanying your colleagues back to the camp? Definitely. Yeah, Madry heads back to the camp as well. So you sit around the fire. Mokui is still in his bear form and sits quietly just looking at the
4: fire. Now that he's settled down, I'll walk up alongside of him, just pat him on the back of the neck or the shoulder a little bit, give him a little bit of a scritch. If he looks up at me, I'll just, smile, you know, as best as I can smile. He'll recognize it as a smile and just nod to him and just lock myself down on the other side of the fire
3: and wait for the rest of the group to come back. Is that sickening feeling gone
4: or?
2: Yes. Okay. The sickening feeling is gone, but it is now replaced with a sense of shame that your companions saw you, all these people. There's concern with how they they will now react to you. Always being concerned about going into a wild shape and how off-putting it can be for people to bear witness to that. But even more so now that they bore witness to you,
3: acting even more savagely than a bear of that type would. After an hour's worth of time, I'll drop my wild shape.
6: Do we recognize the name of the cult or the entity that they were calling out to? You can check Arcana if you wish. You can have a negative to
0: that. Nice bite, moqui. We
2: won't talk about that. 17. Nothing appreciable. 11. 11. 3. In your travels, Madri, through the Wilderin, you have seen similar statues, none as well preserved as this one. Many of them were crumbling. Many of them had vines or moss or fungus growing upon them. Most were toppled. Some still stood, missing wings or claws or arms or a foot. Or like What you've heard from overhearing talk in taverns, talk amongst the learned, was that Shemaloth was an elder god from the time before the Pantheon that is worshipped widely by the people of this world. These elder gods were tyrants. All of them were wicked. They practiced dark magic. Shemaloth was at one time the overlord of the Wilderin before it was vanquished by a band of Balanasi heroes. Many nights, you enjoy sitting in the tavern, drinking and listening to the bards or other storytellers, the wisdoms of various towns and villages, I speak about the history of the Wilderin heard these tales and many others, one of the things that you enjoy the most in going to these towns is hearing the stories of the Western world and how much they differ from the stories and epics of the East, where you
4: and Longway had come from. I'm glad he's paying attention to those, because they're obviously getting all the stories wrong and are not worth listening to. I'll go talk to the soldiers. It's <laughs> just a different perspective,
6: brother. Madri uh, kind of relays a little bit of this to the group, as it looks like there's a temple of Shemaloth. I think we did good work tonight, y'all. No, I believe Shemaloth was tyrant in his day. Something tells me the world is better off without worshipping him. We don't want to bring those deities back.
4: Well, I know there was no dragon there worshipping, too. That was a, an abomination. Agreed. So you
2: sit by the fire for the remainder of the night, watching over your companion as he stares into the flickering flames, silent for the rest of the evening, knowing that tomorrow you must continue your journey to find Magia the Swamp Witch. And that's where we'll leave it for today.
1: Join us next time as the adventure continues on An Acorn's Journey, a DMD story. Thank you to our cast, Frank Whedon, Ben Petrie, Bill Robitaille, Louis Aponte, Sin Morse, and your DM, Scott. A special thanks to you, our listeners. You are why we do this every week. We'll see you next time in the dojo.